Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recovery, Peggy's Recovery Corner. We have a very special guest today here. My, his name is Day. Thank you for being on here, Day. Thank you. It's an honor. I mean, pronounce your full name. Devoyez the fast white. <laughs> Day's an old friend. I've known him pretty much almost my whole entire sobriety. Um, you know, usually when we talk about, you know, this is a recovery podcast, so we talk about all things recovery or lack thereof, depending on how you roll or who you is. But... Um, We've been waiting for this day for a long time. <laughs> yes, um, the powers that be. The powers that be. It's good to have you here today. So I wanted to um, delve into your past. That's usually what we do. We go way into your past, see where you were born, where you were raised, what your upbringing was like, uh, get into some other stuff, and the nitty-gritty, the drug use, the alcoholism, all that stuff, and then we get into the recovery. So who who is Day? Where were you, where were you born? I was born in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Portuguese and Ethiopian. Okay. My you father, speak Portuguese? Um, a little. Okay. Bom dia. Okay. Como vai? Mm -hmm. uh, nice upbringing. Um, my mother was the prettiest daughter in the family. My grandparents, they really cherished her. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, the biggest gift, which I've shared to you, that I received was that my mother overdosed and died on Christmas Day when mm -hmm. I was 10. Mm -hmm. So lots of PTSD, you know, carrying lots of how we hold on to things mm -hmm. for years. Right. For years. Um, and my grandparents, they got me into the entertainment business. Okay. Because my mother always wanted that. And how old were you when that happened? That was, she died at 10, so that was at like 11. Did you have siblings? I have two half, uh, two half brothers and one half sister. Okay. Because um, you're basically like, you have half brothers and sisters, no pure blooded brothers and sisters. 10 years old, how did your grandparents get you into that entertainment business? How'd that happen? Well, the thing was, I want, I'd like to share with you real quick. It's so devastating for a child at that age. Mm -hmm. When I reflect in hindsight, when I look back on it, um, at that time, I just remember, I'm staying on point. I just remembered that, um, that I waited for her because we were at my grandparents' house. Okay. And I waited, Paige, and I waited because she said, I'm going to be back, baby. I'll, I'll see you Christmas. I'll see you. Mm -hmm. We all had Christmas there. And I sat in that window. And I waited, and I waited, and um, I fell asleep, and I just woke up to my grandmother, like going to the house through the house crying, and she was like, "Rose is gone, Rose is gone, my baby Rosie is gone." Mm -hmm. So, to me, I just kind of was shocked because we were so close. Mm -hmm. I mean, I smoked weed the first time with my mother. Well, you did. Oh, I was. Can I curse? Yes, of course. I was fucked up. <laughs> Kidding. Right. Um, we just had good times, and um, and a lot of the family members say that I'm a lot like her. Um, the fact of the matter is that a child. I've also stated that I saw things that a ten year old boy is not supposed to see, mm -hmm. because. I was at my grandparents and I was running over to my mother's mm -hmm. and then it was this back and forth thing. And the grandparents were great because we grew up in an area of view park and Baldwin Hills. They call it the black Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. um, so Norm Nixon lived down the street. Tina Turner lived down the street. Mm -hmm. Ray Charles, Debbie Allen, they lived right down the street. So okay. I didn't get, um, I didn't have like, there was nothing problematic, you know, for most of my life growing up, right. except for the exception of that. So to answer your question, mm -hmm. they got me into uh, the entertainment business to divert my thinking because all I was doing mm -hmm. was going like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, and my uncle was a former mayor of Los Angeles. So that type of family, when she passed away, mm -hmm. the family was like together and I'm like looking up. And I'm going, so my mom died of, of 
drugs and they go no 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 oh so she died of heroin heroin and nope she died of a heart attack they wanted to sweep it under the rug they don't want to talk about it. where was your dad i'm sorry but you was dad in the picture at all no they have been divorced did you have any relationship with your pops eventually eventually we'd see him from, i'd see him from time to time mm -hmm. um i wasn't really comfortable yet mm -hmm. Due to the fact that, first of all, my grandparents, when my mom agreed to marry him, my grandfather, my pop, grandpapa, like chased him off the property with a gun one night for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, so we became close later on mm -hmm. in life. Yeah. Okay. So when your parents, would they get you an agent at a young age because they thought that you had certain qualities where you were talented to the point where you going to acting school or anything like that? Mm -mm. Um, you want me to tap in on it? Cause I give facts. Give facts. Okay. So they, my mother wanted me to, to be in the entertainment business. So right. my grandmother, I was riding my bike Pez, and this lady, I was just riding my bike with some, a couple of guys. Right. This, this lady goes, excuse me. And I went, she goes, what's your name? I told her my name. And, and she said, you have a great smile. Do you want to be a movie star? I went, excuse me? She says, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. Here's my card. You give that to your parents and you have them call me. Wow. I said, okay, that's it. So a grandmother called. I get the setup with the agent, right? This was an agent? An agent. Yes. Uh-huh. She just happened to see you. N no, the lady oh, she, wasn't the she, agent. Oh, she linked you up with an agent. Yes. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, it's going to be corrected. Mm -hmm. and so uh, she got my grandmother called, got the appointment. I go there, and I'm waiting. Now, remember, I was always good in reading mm -hmm. in school. I mm -hmm. mean, at my... I could just read. I liked it. Right. I still do. I just read, 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 no problem. So I go to the agency and they say, come in, you're going to meet her. Their name was the Mary Grady Agency. It was mm -hmm. a child agency. Mm -hmm. And um, You mean for child stars? Mm -hmm. child, yeah. child actors. Child actors. Yeah. Okay. And because I hadn't started yet. Right. right. <laughs> so um, neither did I become a star in my eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and so they walked me in, bro. And she's sitting on this throne with like her little Midians around. Yeah. She had this like big chair. There's like have these things like medieval, mm -hmm. red velvet. And I walk in and I say, hello. And she goes, all right, kid. When I do something called a slate. And I said, excuse me, said a slate. Mm -hmm. She goes, you look to me, you say your name, turn to the left, turn to the right. And then you're going to read some sides. Do you know what sides are? I went. You're ten years old during this time. Yeah, uh, uh, eleven. Eleven years old. She goes because that's how kids. That's why I say you see kids start so young. Mm -hmm. You got to learn so much so fast. Right. Uh, I just watched Judy Garland. You know that that age, dude. You're like. And so anyway, um, she goes. These are sides, and I I want you to read these sides. I said, okay. And she goes, this other man is going to read the other character, the mm -hmm. other part. Mm -hmm. So the first time I looked at it like you look at a script. Right. And, you know, reading, I'm going to just um, improvise. She said, okay, read this. He's going to read that. So let's just say, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change, I think, change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And she goes, "Like say it now." She, that's what I did because I didn't know how to act. Right. And so I would just read and then just look up, and then and repeat it, and then say it. No, that's what you saw. Like if I was on television, that's what you would see. God grant me the serenity to accept the no eye contact, which is very much needed. Mm -hmm. You know, with the characters, you know, um, sure. playing at the chemistry and stuff. I didn't understand any of that. And so I did that like three times, dude. And and uh, she looks at me and she goes, yeah, 
Okay, kid, good luck. Have a good have a good day. So I walked out, then I was walking out, and then she turned I turned around mm. and I went like this, Pash. I saw her and I said, Ma'am, I would just like to thank you for the opportunity for me to meet you. Mm. And it's such a pleasure and an honor. And I'm so glad that my grandmother brought me here today. Thank you so much and God bless you. I walked out, she goes, Stop. I kissed her hand, by the way, and never took my eyes off of hers. I kissed her hand, by the way. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, stop. I said, yes. And she goes, you go sit out there, and you guys, tell his grandmother to get in here. So my grandmother comes in, and, and she goes, look, your grandson can't act worth beans. I'm going to make an exception and do this for you based on how you are raising him, his manners. Because that's how my grandmother raised me. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then she said, I'm going to give you a shot. He must get one out of three interviews or we drop him from the agency. Do I make myself clear? She says, yeah, his mother just passed away. My grandmother passed mm -hmm. away and I'm raising him the best I can. And, mm -hmm. you know, and these were her wishes, and the agent's like, she's heard a million things. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, okay, so we're going to send him out. And I got all three interviews back to back. The Jeffersons, Blues, uh, Blues Brothers, and Little House on the, Little House on the Prairie. Just and, like that? Uh-huh. The reason for that, Pidge, is because a child, the devastation from my mother, mm -hmm. I didn't deal with it. I wasn't sent to a psychologist or psychiatrist. Right. So what I do was what we do. I'm just gonna smile, and if I can get you to smile, everything's gonna be okay, even though I'm hurting so much this little boy from the loss of my mother. Mm -hmm. If I can just make you smile, then that'll give me temporary relief, and I can just be happy because you're happy. Did you know during that time, with everything that they were saying about mom dying from a heart attack, did you know it was drugs? At oh, that, yeah. That young of an age? I mean, you smoked weed with her. Yeah, I saw her do heroin. You saw her do that in front of you. So you you knew. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So when you were, you get these parts then at that point, did you know what you were in for? I mean, did you realize the magnitude of... Hollywood and, and the film industry and how it works and like did you think it this is a big deal? I mean Little House on the Prairie, like everyone watched that during our era. <laughs> and and then on top of that, it's a black kid, like you never really saw any blacks on Little House on the Prairie, except for those episodes that you were in. Right. Right? There's one other person lady that I highly respect. I won't mention her name. Right. I believe she was on there as well. She was. She was. Love you. You know who you are. I think I know who you mean. Oh yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, so it's not. It's about me now, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so true. On the in the Blues Brothers, yeah, you had a major role or just a small role as a kid that was just in a scene. Okay, that was the first movie that I ever did. And to answer what you said, even though I lived down the street from them, Tina Turner, I just knew they were big, right. That's all I knew. They were major. They, they were I, to a child. They're just really big. Yeah, I didn't see the the lights. The I mean, I didn't see all that. Right. I just knew they were big. So on the Blues Brothers, that was the first film that I ever did. It was a scene, and it's a scene where I go into Ray Charles's uh, shop, and I think it's a guitar or a pawn shop. Yes. And. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are doing a deal with him. Mm -hmm. The man is blind. Yes. And so I'm reaching up and I'm attempting to steal this guitar. Right. And so when I reach for the guitar, you see these bullets go on the wall all around me. Bah, 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 bah. And Ray Charles goes, now get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> How many episodes of The Jeffersons were you on? One guest star. A guest star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is a Christmas special. Awesome. It was a guest star. I mean, you you got to be in shows. You were amongst legends. Mm -hmm. John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. 
Sherman Helmsley. Mm-hmm. Love Sherman Helmsley. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome, right? So, okay, so then after that, what happened? You started getting more parts. You continued to act throughout your adolescence. Well, when I began to, to notice the, the humor and the funny side of it, you mentioned the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, you, you need to have three hours of school. Mm-hmm. The state. Right. And we go on break, and I just knew John Belushi and Dan. I just knew they were big. Right. And he goes, hey, kid, you want to go to lunch with us? And I was like, they're big. They're in the movie. Right. Okay. And you're this 11-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid. Eleven. Yeah, I was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. He was 11. And so um, so he says, you want to go to lunch uh, with us? I go, yeah. So I was always really little. I was always really little. Mm-hmm. Um and so um, he put me on his shoulders, and we're walking around, and the tour bus is going by, and they go, hey, ladies and gentlemen, that's John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, the Blues Brothers. The people going, ah. I'm just like, okay. So we walk around, and mm-hmm. they show me Jaws. The, the what was this at uh, Universal. Universal? Jaws and the saloons and the ghost towns, and it was just fun, man, and about an hour and a half later, lunch is supposed to be for 45 minutes max. Mm-hmm. About an hour and a half later, we come back. I'm, I'm on his shoulders. I've had the best time of my life right. around the studio, seeing you know, friends of theirs. Um, mm-hmm. I get there, and the producer runs up, and and the director and this the teacher runs up, and, and she's like, what happened? Is he okay? Are you okay? And I mm-hmm. said, he goes, well, Mr. Belushi, you know, he was he's doing school for three hours. Right. He was supposed to be back. Oh, like, you were supposed um, to be doing school. Yeah, I was late to go back to class because I was with them. What was it, like homeschooling that was happening on the set? They have a teacher with you. Yeah. And so you get individualized tutoring. Yes. And you just do your work and you have three, you do it for three hours. Yeah, it's, it's not like you're going up. in a classroom setting or anything like that. Not, not a regular school. Mm-hmm. It's broken up. Uh, and so I'm in broken up. Within the times yes. while you're filming, you go back. So the, he brings me back, and and they go, "Where has he been? The state? He was supposed to be back in school like an hour and a half ago. Mm-hmm. You know, is something wrong?" John Lucy goes, "Fuck that school! Fuck mm-hmm. that damn school! He learned more with us with us than he could ever learn in that fucking school." Mm-hmm. You hang in there, kid. See ya. Stuff like that. I start to see the the comedy in it, but you could have some fun in it. And I wasn't the one mm-hmm. that wanted you to smile. Ah. Even though I was in pain, just for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. that pain was taken away. Right. So. Now, during that time, obviously, John Belushi had a major drug problem. Okay, I wasn't aware. You and didn't see, you didn't notice, because you were young, like they were mm-hmm. doing that stuff around you. Were you experimenting with anything like during? I mean, your career's taken off now. You're you're in your young adolescence, right? Yep. Were you fucking around with anything? Like, was there alcohol that you were drinking, or drugs, or just weed, or what were you doing? Anything? My mother. We're going back and forth. My mother. Um, I was always playing jokes in school, right. and I got suspended, and they called my mother. Mm-hmm. My mother came to the school. And um, she was always very pretty and revealing right. what she wore because she knew it. Mm-hmm. And um, sitting in the principal's office, the principal was like this to my mom. She's got her legs crossed. She knows exactly what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And he's just, uh, yes, um, he keeps playing these practical jokes. Mm-hmm. And my, my mom was like, like what? Like? He put a roster. He said, um, "Fart perfume, uh, stink perfume, uh, stink bombs, mm-hmm. uh, snapping gum. When you pull the gum out, it snaps the." Yes, I remember those. The smoke stuff. You could get that food. stuff in headshots and shit. <laughs> right. Right. 
I go to the magic store on Hollywood Boulevard. Yes. They had a famous magic. So Whoopie cushions and Yes. I had all that. And so um he goes, you know, we this is just it's it's just not acceptable. It, it just it keeps happening over and over. Mm-hmm. My mother like looks at me and goes, You won't need to worry about this anymore. I know exactly what to do with them. Mm-hmm. My mother, you didn't play with my mother in the family. Right. That's where I get it from. <laughs> Laugh and joke, don't play. Right. And um, we get outside to the car, we get in, and she goes, and I'm like this, dude. I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen mm-hmm. if she didn't play. She wouldn't hit me. However, she would just make you think you're going to get gonna get. Yeah, you're going to I'm sitting in the car, whooping. bro, like this. And, and she looks over and she goes, the whoopee cushion, that was good. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> yeah. She goes, Do you um have you ever seen this before? And she had a joint. And I said, one of the kids, if you don't smoke it, they'll beat you up mm-hmm. after school. And she goes, Okay. And then she said, Open the glove compartment. So open the glove compartment. And um there's just a bag of weed. And there was three, you know, the, the rollers yes. used to have the roll. She goes, do you like strawberry, chocolate, or vanilla? Mm-hmm. I said, um, strawberry. Yeah. So she showed me how to use, put the paper in and use the roller mm-hmm. and smoke pot. And so when the bad kids came up to jump me to smoke it or else, they came to me and said that. And I said, dude, what? I already have my own. Mm-hmm. Walked away. I didn't like pot that much after that, though. Huh. I had it for guests later on. Right. So that was your experience with weed. But, like, growing up, you know, obviously now you're acting throughout your young adulthood. I mean, before that even. Mm-hmm. You, it's just Hollywood. Like, a, yeah. You know, I'm, it's like, how can you avoid? We're going to celebrity parties and things like that. And people later are just on. getting loaded. Later on. And, and how were you? I mean, remember you from losing your mother, trying to make other people smile, mm-hmm. and the pain within. Did you start to get into heavy drinking or any kind of cocaine? Okay, so we can fast forward. When I said I got those first three jobs, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just kept rolling with that, covering up, right, to divert. The pain to this game, right? And so, for years, I just always worked. The stuff that you've seen, I just worked. Right. I just in school when the TA would come in, I was like leaving early. Got a call back. Got an interview. Boom! I was always leaving and or working out of town, and then my teacher would send the the homework back and everything. So it was just this regimen. Mm-hmm. Think my grandmother, dude. She was the one, she was like, respect your grandmother. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she was just always there. She was the one that got up at, you know, five in the morning when I needed to get ready for work and Mm -hmm. and run my lines with me and stuff. She go, baby, a little bit more energy, a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I was a natural, they said. Yes. A natural actor? Yeah, they said I was a natural. The agent, they said he's a natural. You had become more talented than in the beginning from that one agent that said you didn't know how to act. Somewhat. I mean, you were doing a lot of acting. You've been in a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like I'm saying. It became like bread and butter. What I'm, I didn't get my money until I was 18. Right. However, I'm saying they. I was always like this. Anything to cover that up. Mm-hmm. So when I worked... I just worked and just put some energy into it. And they said I was good in a natural. It was because I was covering up pain that I didn't want you to see. Right. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Like you talked about that one agent, you kissed her hand. And you're raised by your grandmother and the way that you speak. And the person that I know, especially who I know as a man of recovery, like you're very proper. You're very uh, polite. You have good manners, right? So 
to hear grandma come out and like want to basically make you the best version of yourself in your acting career by coming and waking you up early and doing uh, practicing your lines and things like that. I think that's where, you know, definitely there was good upbringing, right? Obviously there was a lot of pain, but did you, you say, when did this start getting bad? Like when did you start getting this stuff? When you said upbringing, yes, you know, the grandparents, you know, they sent me to prep school and they sent me those. On the other hand, at that age, my mother. What age? When I was, she died at 10. So I was at like nine. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I saw things you're not supposed to see. Right. Grandparents, great house, great life, great manners. And then my mother's, like we say, hanging out with lower companions to make yourself look good. Mm. And so as a man of integrity today, I can say this. Mm. You know, I saw my mother go over to a woman's house because she was going to name her unborn after me. Mm -hmm. She knocked on the woman's door at like um, two or three in the morning. The lady comes to the door and goes, well, it's a little late. What do you want? She goes, have that bitch of a daughter of yours get out of here right now. I remember. Hearing that. Oh, yeah. Her friends were in the car, and I was singing. She was in this Cadillac and mm-hmm. Elder Rock, whatever. And um, she was dating Jim Kelly, that karate guy at the time. Yes. From Enter the Dragon. Yes, I broke his anonymity. However, he has passed on, and this is to show homage and respect to that man. Mm. So... Um, even though my mom stole his car. <laughs> so um, I saw it. I, I saw, I heard it, dude. And the, the poor lady came out and said, what, what's wrong? Why are you waking up? She goes, get over here. My mother did. She said, get over here. What's wrong, Rosie? She goes, you're going to name that bastard son after my son? She goes, I thought he was out of respect. My mother and her friends took this woman by the neck, put her in the trunk of the car, mm-hmm. and drove around laughing for like an hour or two. So I'm saying, yes, the class and all that, you know, on one side, mm-hmm. the etiquette, and at the same time, this double, triple life, kind of. Sure. So don't. Don't let this Gucci and stuff fool you. Right? <laughs> I know, I know we're Washington and Crenshaw. Sure, sure, sure. So you know, I didn't know. It was always just this covering up, covering up. To answer your question, uh, to tap back in on, on that, tap in on that. It, it kept going. It kept going good because I could cover up good. And then they tell me that I'm a good actor. Mm-hmm. Never took an acting class. Never in school, I did plays in junior high and stuff. That's about it. So, was it stroking your ego to make you feel like, oh, you know what? I am a badass. Um, that I'm special in some way, yes, as a child. Mm -hmm. I'm special in some way. My mother's gone, so I can be special though, Mm -hmm. because it took a long time. For me, psychologically. I mean, I was dialing my mother's phone number and stuff, and it's not answering. And my grandpapa's going, she's She's not going to answer. She's gone. So it escalated, kept acting, got, you know, good, 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 uh, good, um, good roles. Or it was going good. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't even really know how to act. I, I would just memorize, mostly memorize my part. Right. And sometimes wouldn't even read the entire script. Mm. And so I didn't learn how to act until I got to Die Hard. Which was how old? I was late 20s. That was late 20s? Mm-hmm. So we've gone past... Maybe, maybe it was 32. Really? Something somewhere. Okay. So past your adolescence, you weren't, you know, being in the Hollywood scene, obviously in your young adulthood, in your 20s. Was it partying? Were you partying yourself? Yes. To backtrack, I don't feel comfortable saying back. Um, I did do uh, cocaine. I snorted cocaine. How old? That was 17 because it was prom night. Okay, so you actually were going to a prom in high school. You were going to school and living a normal life, but you are doing acting when parts would come up. 
Okay, so you did cocaine at 17. With my brother. My once? Brother. Um, it started once. Excuse me, that's me. Oh, sorry. Mostly. <laughs> it started once. Um, that was my ego. I was stumping it out. <laughs> <laughs> it started once. Um, and it was cool. I just remember I didn't want the food, the dinner that they served. and Lost your hunger there, huh? Yeah. Okay. And then did you continue to do um, more after that night? Well, I graduated, and my brothers were, were very, very smart in school. Mm -hmm. My oldest brother would actually, Greg, the mean one, there's a nice one and a mean one, he would pass down the notes because we were all in high school, mm -hmm. 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Right. And so um, I guess I was going back and forth with my father. Anyway, and so um, my brother, they sent me up with, with some uh, cocaine with a friend, mm -hmm. um, a very big, prominent mm -hmm. Hollywood friend of my brother's. Sure. And um, and I, I get some, you know, I get like a, a half of it. I'm not into war stories, however, right. you know, because I'm not glamorizing. I'm just, yeah. It's the pit of hell. It will be. Uh, it was for me. So I, a half would last me like a week. Plus, I got in UCLA. Okay. So I'm not saying You went to UCLA for acting school? Journalism. Journalism. And theater. Nice. And so I got in mostly... Because of someone in my family mm. who was a big contributor to the school. Nice. And so, um, I'm, you know, a half was last me a week, and then I get a grand, and that's, so it just escalated. And plus the parties and Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I would just party on the weekends. Okay. That's what it was. And then, um, and I drank the first time when I was. 16 at my grandmother's a beer mm -hmm. so cunning got baffling and powerful it comes in many ways to get you right with it could be timing it could be a situation in our lives mm -hmm. so um to get to what you're specifically asking me yes. i think i i feel is that when i got to die hard right I kind of been known in Hollywood for partying. Sure. It kind of got around. Because um, at that time, it, that was what we did. Yes. You were, we snorted cocaine. Mm -hmm. We drank. It was that, that era. It was that thing, man. 80s, 90s. Yeah. yeah. And so. Um, Let's see what some people are saying here. We got a Ty. Karen. My boy. Ty. Oh, man. Bastards is love day. Rich Chapman, oh wow, day. I haven't seen you in so long. Day's one of the happiest people I have ever met by far, most definitely. And Karen says, hey. <laughs> Mark says, hey, gentlemen. What's up, stranger? You. you guys look great. Thank you. Okay, so you get to die hard. This is a big deal. Now it's like a major motion picture with, you know, a guy that was like yeah. a major star on Moonlighting. Mm -hmm. And now he, he's making his film. And you were co-star? Um, on um, Die Hard? Yes. They put, I was booked as co-star, yes. And at this time you're known in Hollywood as, as a partier. Are you good enough for the to make the film? Obviously you were because you made the film. Yeah. Okay, so by that time... Okay, Lee Daniels was mm -hmm. managing me at that time. Right. Big Papa. Mm -hmm. And so I had I had gone and did Places in the Heart with Sally Fields and Danny Glover. And good. it was it was nominated for might have won uh, two Oscars, two Academy Awards. Yes. The year before. Mm -hmm. So Lee knew the casting director, Jackie Birch, and mm -hmm. and she was Lee, I'm just looking for this. This guy, Bruce Willis, they want to kick off his career and I'm looking for this guy that could be a limo driver and be on like a CB or the phone mm -hmm. or something like stereo, like really um, energetic, mm -hmm. charismatic, animated. 
Animated, okay, I'll go with that. Charismatic, I'm never, anyway, that's not a story. Um, uh, okay, so she goes, I got, um, Lee goes, I got it. I got the guy for you. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what do you mean you got a guy for me? She goes, Devorier White. Mm -hmm. He was, he killed Sally Field's husband in places in the heart. Mm -hmm. He goes, because that's how Lee is. He goes, darling. It won two Academy Awards last year. Yes. I've got the guy for you, darling. <laughs> right. And she goes, okay, so when can I uh, read with him? And Lee's like, have you seen his resume? I just sent it to you. Hmm. She goes, he goes straight to producer. And they were friends. And she goes, okay. She saw the resume. And she goes, okay. And, um, and so I went and read with Bruce. And Joel Silver. Mm -hmm. Joel Silver is the biggest producer in Hollywood at that time. Right. Matrix, Lethal Weapon, you know, on and on. And so um, I went in and read with them. Mind you, like I said, I had taken a, a few little acting classes. Right. Nothing consistent. And so when I went in and read, Pedge, I just, I could do eye contact now, though. Right. I just did it and had energy to it. I was just day when I read for it. Sure. And uh, and then I got that and the ego started to kick in. Mm. The pain from the mother went into the ego, which is self-destructive. Mm. So it's, I just, you know, I'm glad I'm here today. That mm. I reflected. And so I go um, to the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And you know they put he puts the suit on me or whatever and and he goes is, is this okay and I goes these shoes these shoes and this is ill fitting he goes we don't have time right now we don't have time right Joel's waiting on us. You don't make Joel Silver wait. Right. <laughs> and I get over to the office. We're sitting there. Everyone pages in the office like this, waiting for Joel Silver. Mm -hmm. And I look, and like I sit down, and then someone comes out of his office, and he goes, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's like this, bro. And um, went in. He took me before the other people, because he was like, starting a movie. Mm -hmm. Took me in. He goes, how you doing? How you been? And I go, Good, I'm good. He goes, what do you um, what do you, what do you think about your your suit and your shoes? I said they're absolutely hideous. I said I wouldn't wear this shit across the street. Hmm. He looked, smiled, looked at the wardrobe man, and said, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Get him the stuff you're supposed to get. Why did I even hire you? And Joel will fire you like that." Mm -hmm. And so that's where it started. And then it was time to do Die Hard, and I said I didn't know the chemistry of acting. Mm -hmm. That's when I learned how to act, when I went there. Mm -hmm. And the first day of shooting, we were, we rehearse, we we're going to rehearse. Mm -hmm. And the director goes, scene from Die Hard, director goes, um, action. And I go, so you're a New York cop and you want to get back together with your wife, so why bother to pack, right? He looked at me and he said, do you understand the chemistry of you guys? I mean, not really. Because do you understand the, the sync? I go, kinda. He goes, did you read the script? Not all the way. Look at me like, kind of like I was crazy. Mm -hmm. John McTiernan, huge director. He goes, he shook his head like this. He goes, come here for a second. He's like, put me aside. And he goes, okay, listen. Listen very carefully. Okay. And don't take your, he's getting loud. And people are standing around. Around yeah. the crew, bro. And he goes, listen. He's a New York cop. He's separated from his wife. 
So he's coming to LA on the hopes to getting back together with her. And he only brought one bag mm -hmm. because it's all in his head that he'll need his one bag. If he rekindles with his wife, everything will be happily ever after. Do you understand? I was such in shock. I could hide it well, though, because I was hiding, good at hiding anything. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. He goes, no, come on. We're going to run it. I was, I was forced into the era of an actor. So when he said action, I went, so you're a New York cop, and you're coming in L.A. with one bag, so why bother the cop, right? Mm -hmm. He goes, you fumbled a little bit. Do it again. I said, so you're a New York cop, from the hopes of getting back together with you, uh, getting back together with your wife. So you brought one bag. So why bother the bag, right? He goes, that's what I'm going to see. So at that point is when I understood that if I'm going to take this thing serious, I'm going to need to take it like how that man looked at me in my eyes, and he said that. And you did. Mm -hmm. So after you made the film, did you you did had some other films after that? Correct. I remember there was mm -hmm. Trespass mm -hmm. and a few other things. At this point, you're in your thirties. Late, because see, I'm ageless now. Okay, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's like Dick Clark. Ageless oh God, okay. I'm still alive. <laughs> so, so look, we met. You and I met. I'm 14 years sober, 14 and a half years sober. I think you're one year less than me. Um, this is the way I know day, right? Like, it's usually like how you presented what, what had happened. This is what I want to get to now. Awesome career. You are, you know, you've been into major, major films and TV shows. I think you were even on different strokes, which was like, when I found that out, I was like, which episode? Because I knew Dudley, and I knew, you know, I knew Gary Coleman, but where was Day, right? So I had to, like, go scour the internet. I think I found it eventually. But so all of that's great. What I know about Day, though, is that your life, this is the way you describe You can describe it for yourself. The Cane, downtown L.A., why? How the fuck did you end up down there? Like, what happened? Okay, so... Uh, after Die Hard, things jumped off. You know, we didn't expect it to become that big. Mm -hmm. It became huge. huge. So I, television shows are bidding on me. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, when you did film, it was film. Television was, eh, eh, you know, film is. Yes. However, they were bidding so much back and forth. Right. Um, Regina King on her show, love her. Uh, 227 to be your boyfriend, head of the class. They had asked me to do their show a while ago. Yes. And I was like, oh, ego. Oh, that little show with Mike Tyson's wife, Robin Gibbons, that one. You were able to pick and choose between certain shows at this point. They were. Now you had clout. Yeah. Hollywood clout. Bidding. Ego's probably just forming. Bidding. And so, head of the class, ego was so big that head of the class was like, uh, I read for network. Mm -hmm. I read for the network, and you read like two or three times for network. The mm -hmm. entire, a lot of people, right? And um, and so they're like, okay, we want him to come on board, and um, he's going to be a guy from Harlem, and he's going to get a scholarship into uh, the IHP, mm -hmm. the honors program, yeah. and his father is going to be a bus driver. Mm -hmm. Ego was so big because mm -hmm. I had Lee Daniels under my belt. Yes. And I'm like, okay, so first of all, the money. They kept bidding, and then finally they came in with a strong offer, and I said, Lee, let's go for this. Mm -hmm. They came back and said, unfortunately, we'd like to. We weren't able to do that because the other cast members are making that much, and it would be a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. I said, fine, I'll tell you. So they gave me what the character was, and I said, mm-mm. He said, what do you mean, mm-mm? I said, no. Basketball, I, no. Scholarship, no. Privilege to get to go there, no. 
He said, so what do, what do you think? Lisa, what do you think? I said, um, he's an aspiring artist, writer, wants to be a filmmaker, idol, like Spike Lee on that tip, mm-hmm. you know, um, eccentric kind of, hangs out in East Village in New York, you know, and, um, and his father is a construction worker and his mother is a stewardess. Mm-hmm. I said, you tell them I'll do that. And one last thing, what? I want creative control over our wardrobe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they went for it. They went for it. And so the ego right. got bigger and bigger. Dude, I'd walk down Melrose in any store, pick stuff out, and they come pick the shit up. Right. And so then at that point, I'm partying, you know, hard on weekends, and it started to affect me people started to see that something was off mm-hmm. and um and it was just it i'm making a lot of money every week mm-hmm. and bins and range over all this and jag house in hollywood hills mm-hmm. you know three-story house in hollywood hills madonna lived over there rod stewart lived over there mm-hmm. You know, people are, Eddie Murphy is on the heel over. Yeah. My friend actually has that house. Oh, okay. You see yeah. Cher's house. Uh, there's a house that Eddie Murphy had that's now uh, a sober living. You probably partied in that house during that time. I'm sure I did. I'm sure you did. So, um, yeah, so it, uh, it, it just got crazy. Mm-hmm. It just got crazy. And then it went from cocaine to. I ran Walter Hill. I always wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. He made Eddie Murphy, 48 Hours, I think right. Beverly Hills Cop, Predator, wanted to work with him. Mm-hmm. He grabs me. I go to um, Atlanta to do Trespass with Ice T and Ice Cube. And what was your, wasn't your character in Trespass a addict? Mm-hmm. Junkie. You were a junkie. A junkie. And it scared me because when they did the makeup, I thought of my mother. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so moving forward, I went and did that, and people asked me, well, how come I didn't do Die Hard 1 or 2? Or It was happening so fast that I got stuck doing that. Right. And then I, as I'm doing my little bit of cocaine, I'm supposed to go do cool runnings for Disney mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Right. That got pulled. So then I'm upset about this and my mother, and I'm upset because I didn't get this, and I'm better than this person. And why did are they in the business, period? Right. So I started drinking. Long Island Iced Teas became my favorite. The club scene. Yes. Get me on that guest list. Get me on that guest list. Roxbury. Oh, yeah. Dude. I know you were going there. I was going there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so then you were drinking heavily. Yeah. Doing Eddie, drugs. Eddie slapped me one night because I was so messed up. Was it cocaine and alcohol or did you get into heroin? No, not yet. Cocaine, it was cocaine. What do you mean not yet? Did you eventually get into heroin too? Absolutely. Were you shooting dope? Absolutely. Were you buying it in Skid Row? Sometimes, because I lived down there. You lived down in Skid Row? No, 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 no. I lived on 7th and Springs. Getting Skid Row wasn't that far. But were you living down there because you were just a person that was living normally or you went homeless? No, I, I was not ever homeless. Mm-hmm. I say that in my shares, I didn't live on the street. I lived in the street. Though. Okay. I want to clarify that. Um, thank God, my family, they wouldn't let me live on the street. However, they would tell me, you look like you live on the street. And how did you look? What was your appearance like? Um, I'm Portuguese. So the, I shared, you've heard me say it. My hair was like long and curly. I was 98 pounds. Mm-hmm. And drug addicts, girls, it's like, I wish I was that skinny. So I thought it was sexy. Mm. And I've got on soccer cleats. Running so- around. Soccer cleats. Yeah. Why? I was high across the street from where I lived. And I called it my little spot. It was actually like a motel that was three stories. Mm-hmm. And you pay by the week. So anyway, those cleats, I go to the store and I see them in the window. They're pumas. That's what it came down to. You weren't homeless walking the streets like a like a zombie. But you were staying in a motel in downtown LA in your addiction mm-hmm. and your alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Looked at like Pippi Longstocking, like a, a black, black Pippi Longstocking. Black Pippi Longstocking. From Hollywood Hills to downtown LA. Beverly, Hollywood Hills to downtown LA. And how old were you? It was, let's just say it was in 2006. Okay. 
And your last your last movie Trespass was what in the early two thousands or late nineties? It was early two thousands, and I did a couple of jobs after that. By that time, it it started to get. You know, after head of the class, they, they would send me scripts and stuff, and I'd be like, I've been up for three days. You're over it. I was just like, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. Yeah. But it's good. It's not right for me. And the money that you were making through being an actor was kind of helping uh, your, you know, nurture your addiction, mm-hmm. paying for wherever you were staying. Mm-hmm. It came down to that. Why did you get sober? Did you didn't you attempt to get sober once, but you couldn't stay sober, and then you tried again? Oh, Lee! They everybody wanted to. Uh-huh. They, I went through eight different uh, treatment centers. Okay, and um, you know why did I get sober? Is because <laughs> my grandparents had died, mm-hmm. and um, there was an inheritance involved. Mm-hmm. When they died, me being the addict addict that I am, I was like, oh, that's so sad. When I get my money. You're in your disease, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they gave me some of it, and I went through 130 grand in two or three months. Because I go live in hotels. And doing drugs. Yeah, I would live in hotels. Okay. I love that. You know, the room service cleaning my shit. Yes. You're not gonna so it just it, it was just a spiral and it got worse and worse and worse. And I'm I'm still running on pain and ego. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um my dad, I'm with my dad now mm-hmm. and my brothers. My brother's an accountant. Right. And um and so they're like doing it they're attempting to help me the best I can. And um, I'm running to my dad's. You know, all he was doing was wanting to make up time mm-hmm. with me, and because because my mother wasn't in the picture anymore. Right. That's all he was doing. The man ne- not, did not ever say no to me. Mm. I think once he was an active active uh, alcoholic, and what I'm getting at is that he was looking at me because I go. He he had uh, owned printing shops. Right. So we go in. I'm 98 pounds, dark circles, this. And then I've got like, uh, I remember having like a couple of sores on my hand. Mm-hmm. And so I was go in there and, and get the peroxide mm-hmm. to, to do that. Because um, they broke it down where I would get um, $100 a day. Mm-hmm. Thank God for my grandparents. They give me $100 a day. Dude, I was back there by five o'clock. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> he wouldn't say no, and he'd just be like, "So, um, he looked at me. He looked at my brothers one day because I go in my dad's in the back in the office. There was a bar, mm-hmm. like a refrigerator. Yeah. So I had this, this." I have this old, I forgot where I found it. It was real, though. This old, like, Louis Vuitton purse. And I made it into my own satchel. Yeah. And so I could put stuff in there, you know, my rigs and my dope. And so I would take my dad's, um, like, beers and put as many as I could in there. Yeah. And so he just looked at me, dude, and he said, one day, he said, come here. And I went in, in the back, and he said, call my brothers. He said, Look at my son. He, he he's gonna be dead like any minute. My brothers are like the mean ones. Like I'm surprised he's not dead already. Mm-hmm. Every time we were waiting to get a phone call right. that you were dead. So then, um, my brother found a rehab and they said, "Okay, so you're going to this place. They're gonna take you at three o'clock. So you're going to this place called Yellowstone." So I went, the park? You mean Boo Boo Bear and Yogi? I'm so delusional. Right. I'm like, it's going to be fun. And I can have everything back again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so tore up when I got there. So they sent you there? Yeah. You went to Yellowstone? Yeah. Oh, Wait a I... minute. You know Honey? 
Yes. You want your product to Yellowstone? For a very short time. Okay. Um, I was there and, you know, unfortunately, I'm glad this happened. Mm -hmm. I had no meds, you know, nothing. I'm coming off of methadone. Heroin. At Yellowstone? No, no, no. I'm coming off of. You were coming off of methadone. All these. Methadone, That's not good. Clonopin, <laughs> yeah. heroin. Because uh, they weren't providing no comfort meds back then. They didn't at all. I'm saying this is what I came in, was coming off of. Sure. And so um, clonopin, a lot of booze, all these things, no meds. No meds. And I was like, they barely give me an aspirin. Yes. And um, so, how long were you there? Oh, <laughs> I did. How you know how we manipulate? Yes. I called my father. I said, um, "You got to get me out of here." He goes, "Well, you know, you agreed to stay 90. Mm -hmm. My family said if I couldn't get any more money until I stayed at least ninety. How long did you stay? Barely sixty days. That's not that bad, but okay. Oh, and where did you go? I manipulated. Where did you go? Thank you, Richard Perlin. Did you go back? To, <laughs> did you go back to LA? Oh, you stayed in Orange County. Oh yeah, because okay. my other side of the family was like, your grandparents wanted you to be okay. We'll give you an apartment, get you a car. You just need to stop. They got you that stuff in they Orange County. Offered me that to come home oh, to LA, home. give you a car, give you a place to stay if you just stop. Okay, so what happened? I wasn't ready. So did you relapse in Orange County? Oh, yeah, a few times. <laughs> okay. And then it, at this point, it took you a little while to get back in, but then you came back in. What, did you go to treatment again? Seven times. Seven, in Orange County? Uh, not in Orange County. In Orange County, it was two or three. Okay. So you did get sober finally and stayed sober in Orange County. Finally. Okay. After seven times, what happened that you decided that's it, I'm done? Mm. Okay. I came in when I met you. Yes. And I was like, he's cool. Were you in treatment at that time? No. I had gotten out of treatment. Okay. And then I saw you yes. at, the at the meeting. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I was like, that that cat's, he, he's doing it. You're with your dad. I, I would bring my dad sometimes, yes. And uh, I was like, that cat's cool. Mm -hmm. He's cool. He's doing it. And he, and he seems like he's into it. I was. I am still. Oh, yeah. And so um, you were doing your thing. I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. I wasn't ready. I needed to go and do a little bit more chemistry in the lab, mm -hmm. <laughs> per se. Um, and I just kept going. And... And then I kept attempting to do this thing, do this right. thing. And so what happened was, since I met you, I had died literally, which you're aware of, seven times. Okay. Flatlined at Hogue. Hogue Hospital, at Newport Hogue Beach. Hospital. Okay. Seven times back. I knew the ambulance guys, names by heart, all that. The and whole chemical dependency unit knew you first well, name basis. I wasn't in there. Chemical dependency. Oh, ER. going to, I started having seizures uh -huh. from the drugs and the alcohol mm -hmm. and the meds. I didn't understand that Seroquel and heroin are lethal mm. together. I didn't care. An addict. So I decided the seventh time that I woke up um, at home and one of the ambulance guys was standing there. And I go, Mike, where are my cigarettes? And he just looked down, bro. And his eyes were kind of watering. I said, what's wrong with you? I'm alive. He goes, Day. You're, that movie, Die Hard, me and my son, it makes him so happy. We watch that every year. And you're not going to be around very long. And it's just so sad. Mm. He walked out. So then I died again, and I woke up, and you've heard me tell you this. I'm like, oh, God, human beings again. Shit. You took my mother. You won't take me, and my life is shit. 
this is effed up. This is really messed up. And then something went boom. Maybe I'm supposed to do something other than day. Hmm. And I said, help somebody. Help somebody do what? Cop? Help somebody get high? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Something's like, I want you to represent everything that is the opposite of day. I said, honesty? I learned how to lie mm -hmm. when my mother died. <laughs> Forget that one. Accountability. Mm -hmm. I'm not paying anybody back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay rent for apartment. I've already got five notices already. Right. Them. I deserve this. All of that. And I said, maybe you're supposed to help somebody else. And then I realized, moment of clarity, thank you, God. That point, I went, wait, there's somebody other than day. There's people that need help. Right. I was like, oh, I didn't ever think of it like that. I just want another movie or some more, uh, a Long Island iced tea. Right. And in knowing you over all these years, you've humbled yourself so much to the point where you, it's evident, not just by what you say, but by the way you carry yourself, who you are, what you represent, that your recovery comes before anything. And it's the most important thing for you in your life. I see you as a man of service. And you don't need to go around and talk about it. it, it it's, it's just known. It's known because of the people that you work with. You have a certain way of uh, helping people that will let you that will let you help them Thank you. in rewiring and reprogramming their thought process and their conditioned ways of being. Um, and I believe that comes from good mentorship. I watch my words. Good people that came before us. We were talking about this the other day. We happened to be in rooms back in the day where there was some old timers that they were they were well known in that particular area where we got sober that uh, they talked the talk and they walked the walk. You know, they they demonstrated what it really means to be sober. And so, what an honor and a privilege to have made a friendship with you in the beginning of my recovery because I was only a year sober, but I was on fire for this thing, mm -hmm. and I'm still on fire for this thing. I mean, I wouldn't have a recovery podcast. You're just flaming. Flaming like crazy. I'm on fire. Douse me. But, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, we have been rebirthed. It's nice to see you still on the path. There's some people that come and go. And then? Some people stay and grow. That's right. And that was the topic of today's podcast is because we're staying we're growing we're always growing with all the ups and downs that life will pitch at us um we stay sober and we get to you know walk amongst so many people that get put in our past paths and we're shoulder to shoulder in this process and it never fails you know that god always puts people in our path that we can we think we're helping them but the reality of it is that they're helping us. And thank you. And thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I know we're not supposed to talk about certain things coming up, but there's some exciting things that you're working on. I won't even say what they are. I don't think that we need to say what they are because when they happen, they happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I love our friendship. You know, I love that you were open to being on here and, and talking so openly because there's a lot of people that, are celebrities or have been celebrities in their past and want to be secretive about their addiction problems or their alcoholism. I love transparency. I love that when you actually talk about this stuff, you give people hope. You you let people know that when it comes to the disease of addiction or alcoholism, it does not discriminate. It doesn't care if you're from the Hollywood Hills 
or from the hood. It does not matter. The, the shit, and especially in this day and age, what we're seeing more and more, we see so many people like coming in doing the types of drugs that are a thousand times more powerful than what we were doing before. That's putting God. them down and killing them, right? You could put down a woolly mammoth. That's that's <laughs> like how strong this stuff is that's out there. So, with that said, I want to thank you for coming on Peggy's Recovery thank Corner. You. What an honor and privilege to have a friend like you. You too, my man. I love you very much. I love you too. And just one thing. Sure. Um, I don't tell people how to run their lives. I've shared this before. I only have my own experience. And I can say what a wonderful experience this is. And if we think that it's not going to work or we're unique mm -hmm. or we're different. I just share with you the 12 steps for me. Mm -hmm. My mother died of an overdose. I didn't think anybody that was just me. Nobody understands. Mm -hmm. The 12 steps I took and I lived 12 steps. And I just encourage, encourage if you're struggling to take those 12 steps with someone that has taken the 12 steps. Love it. Big love and peace. Thank you, Paige. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for tuning on in. Bye.